Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. This is your host, Jack Young. Today is a special edition. What it is is a question and answer that we had at our Spring Thought Conference at Lighthouse Bible Baptist Church. On the panel is going to be Pastor Dan Smith, Pastor Tim Young, and Pastor Jim Alter answering questions about the ministry and then a lot of little practical Christian living things that they're going to be talking about. Uh, There might be, throughout the podcast, you'll notice a pause as guys are coming to the microphone to ask questions of the panel. Uh, But I know it'll be a blessing to you. Thank you for tuning in. God bless you. Can you hear me? All right. Um, What we're going to do is we're going to videotape this and then also it's going to be recorded audibly and uh, we'll post it up too also on the Pastoral Thoughts podcast and uh, so you can listen to it there. The guys, a lot of them had to of course get on the road and head out uh, so they can have access to this later. So if you have some questions in mind, uh, you're going to come up to this mic and then ask from this mic. Uh, and we're going to ask questions about the ministry. It's, we chose a blue microphone that you would uh, be able to match. And if you have any questions on um, dress, dressing, how to dress up. Um, the sartorial hour. Yes. Then uh, those questions will be directed to Brother Alter. All right, well, let's, uh, let's pray, and I'll ask a question. I'll ask the first question, and then uh, whoever has a question, guys, you can come right up here to the mic. Uh, if not, I'll ask questions the whole time. I've got a lot of cues for the Q&A panel, okay? <laughs> All right, let's pray, and then uh, we'll get started. Lord, we thank you just for the, the chance to be here together today. Lord, we thank you that we get to put our hearts and minds together. We get to unite underneath the banner of truth, the word of God. We thank you for uh, the men here on this panel. I pray that you just um, just bless them, bless us as we um, just try to pick their brains and seek some wisdom and advice on how to pastor and, and how to... Um, just feed the flock and be a blessing to our people. And so we pray you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. My first question for all three of you, uh, how have you and your churches grown and adapted during this coronavirus epidemic, pandemic? Pandemic. <laughs> I'll start. Right. I retired. I, uh, I re- actually, I, I uh, became pastor emeritus in January, and it all started in March. So, Travis uh, is yeah, Paul. Travis. Travis took over. <laughs> and so not only did he have to learn to be the pastor, but he also had to learn to pastor on the air. <laughs> so uh, I, I did all I could to be of encouragement and help during that time as far as when nobody could come to church i was at church and my wife and our assistant and him so he he preached to six of us anyways you know so that was uh, that was a little bit of a help but i the biggest thing was was trying to learn how to keep in contact with everybody that was really the hardest thing you know at first it was easy but as time went on it just became more difficult but as far as preaching, I didn't really do much preaching during that time, so I really couldn't address that. We had just finished a new auditorium, and uh, so I was, you know, you're not supposed to worry, but I was worried financially about what was going to happen. And we didn't have um, live streaming. We didn't have online giving. So we 
very quickly got all of those things established and God blessed. We've never missed a payment and as a matter of fact, budget came in. We just had our budget meeting yesterday. What's today? Is today Monday? Today's Tuesday. Mon Sunday we had our business meeting. And uh, we were in the red. In the, is, is red good or black good? Black. We're in the black. So aren't you glad we have money people in the church and it's not me doing it? Uh, so honestly, it's been great. Our attendance has been off a little bit. We, we're an industrial town. And um, if somebody on the line gets COVID, you have to stay home for two weeks. And so they're not allowed to come to church. Um, so our attendance has been off probably by about 30%, I would guess. But we were able to go back. We had our first Sunday back the first Sunday after Mother's Day last year. So, and we're, we have, you know, breakfast in every adult class. And, you know, we don't do masks or social distancing or any of those things. Um, and it's been it's been good what we did was um, of course shut down because nobody knew exactly the extent of the problem which I'm assuming was the same in most wondering how uh, grievous the uh, yeah. uh, virus was going to be we opened back up and uh, I said you know bring your mask and um, you know don't forget social distancing I walked out of my office went in the auditorium nobody had a mask on it was you know three weeks after uh, we had shut down Nobody had a mask on and everybody, all ladies were hugging each other. Guys were shaking hands in. So from that time till this, we've just had our service. Now we did shut down uh, a couple different uh, weeks when we had it going through our church. In fact, even between Christmas and New Year's, um, uh, my wife and I had it. Um, so we had shut down a week there <clears throat> trying to, um, you know, get by it. So it did one like the flu uh, went through. But during that time, what we did uh, because of all the fear mongering going on and all the limitations, uh, we, we did a lot of mail outs as far as uh, invitations uh, to churches. And we did get a, a good response from that. Normally we don't do that routinely, but in fact, even uh, this uh, coming Resurrection Day, we've got, we've got a mail out that's going out. Uh, Dave Salini has designed it and everything. And then uh, we're going to go out back on the doors um, this coming Saturday on the 20th and, and start having all that. We have been away from the doors. New York is different different, right. different than other states. You know, they've been, they put such a fear in people. Yeah. But we went down, buses are, are running. They're gonna start back up in April. Uh, we have some seniors that are very fearful because of uh, other uh, uh, problems, health problems they have. And, and so I don't push that, but we did go on live stream as you were saying, I was not live stream before. I uh, didn't give online, but uh, after a while, when we did that for a few weeks, I was thinking about always doing it. <laughs> you know, just stay home and you know, send your money. Uh, we've got uh, 20 large print Bibles left, <laughs> you know, on Jerry Falwell's routine. Um, but I, I think the key is to stay in touch. The other, obviously, now I put together now so far, it's been 310 or something like that. I used to call them devotionals until last night. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have to have devotions this morning because he said that word about devotions last night. But anyway, uh, like little Bible thoughts and uh, people can go out online and they can pick them up. And that was one of the ways uh, people would stay in touch. Or uh, if we had an accident where it didn't get out onto the site or whatever, they'd call the church and said, what happened? 
this morning. I didn't get the Bible study and Brother Sleeney would maybe have to clean something up and get it back out or live stream or whatever. So I think everybody kind of did whatever they felt like they, they could possibly do. And that's really what we did. So as we've stabilized as far as um, the attendance, but we've had probably three or four brand new families start coming to the church in the, even the last month. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't anybody knocking on their door. It was, you know, word of mouth or again, those mail outs sometimes. Yeah, you know, the one, we have one that says everybody needs a home and then talks about having a home church and stuff. So we've had some good responses to that and hopefully the spring will be different. Those guys didn't sit in the back, all the way in the back, you could stand at your place. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, on those lines, have you had any members get upset because they say you're not respecting authority if you're not wearing a mask or we're under a mask mandate, then you, you need to make everybody wear masks? Have you lost any because of that? Have you had anybody do that? What would you say if somebody came to you and said that? I'd say what Brother Smith said. I didn't hear what he Can't you go to what, another church? That's you said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, no, that's a good question, though. Yeah, we've had. Yeah, I can believe we've it. Had, we've had that problem. We, especially uh, a few older people. And a few people work for doctors and hospitals. They just yep. got a little bit overboard, and they couldn't be gracious to anybody. And it's like, well, I'm not coming back, but they're not wearing masks. Well, I mean, we we have been more active in wearing masks at our church, mainly because we do have a lot of hospital people. You know, a lot of people work in the hospital and a lot of that situation. So we, we have, and we've asked people to respect the feelings of others. But then I've also asked those people who get mad to respect the wishes and the feelings of the other people also. So, I mean, it sounds like we probably had... A little bit more difficulty in our church than what you guys all have. We're probably a little over half coming, so we're probably maybe 60% of our people are coming. But uh, it was funny because older people all pretty much started coming back, and the younger people with kids are the ones that didn't come. And their excuses would be, "Well, we don't want to have to." we'll disrupt the services with our kids you know they're they're noisy and all it's like well we said you know we're we're bypassing all that now we don't care how much noise they make just come you know because we have them all sitting in the auditorium well that didn't you know that was just excuse for them so after a while i just it's like all right this is we just told everybody what we're going to do and and that's it what was it two weeks ago when a bunch of the states opened up 90% of the people came didn't have masks on. I go, it's not New York State. <laughs> you know, but they figure, hey, we're just going to do what we want. So it's slowly taking care of itself. But, you know, we had a couple mad, but not, didn't leave the church, but mad over it. And I just talked to them a little bit about it and said, I, we're not going to control people. That's all there is to it. So that's where we were. What, very few. We have some senior citizens that have stayed home. Um, we have less medical people than what you're talking about. But I've always tried to be very upfront with our church about the science 
and what the science of masks is. And if I, I recommended to a guy the other day to print off the Mayo Clinic's recommendation on the masks. And if you, if you ever touch your mask, you have to put it in plastic and dispose of it like a toxic material. Um, if your mask has openings at the top, it's ineffective. Just all of the things that are said, these, these masks work as good as this. It, it, it doesn't work. And the other thing is, my, my number one answer, I had one young man came and he said, how do, you, how do you not wear masks? How could I invite somebody? I said, tell them we can read. And he, he said, what? I said, yeah, the physics has not changed on this. And I said, the other thing about our church is we love liberty. So uh, as a young man, you don't understand. But the older generation, um, no one was going to require me. And the other thing I would have them say is, don't tell me what to do with my body. Uh, do, do you, are you on live stream? In somebody like that, I would say, listen, you know, I can understand your point as far as that from what, your viewpoint. My encouragement is stay online with us and yeah. um, because no, no kind of situation, you're not going to be able to argue them into, you know, as far as that. I would just say, and I had people that talked about it and I just said, well, if you feel comfortable staying home, usually it was an older couple or whatever, if you feel more comfortable, but we feel fine. I would go back and I would agree with the idea of the science, but secondly, it's saying, who is Andrew Cuomo to tell me what to do with my body? You know, as far as that. but that doesn't hunt with you where you got somebody like that that wants to argue the point. The answer to that is the Bible says that we are to obey every ordinance of man. And in our representative republic, I'm the government. Yep. It's my responsibility to defend the Constitution. And if it's freedom of assembly, you know, all of these things, personal, individual rights, it's my responsibility to defend that. So by taking a stand for individual liberty, I am obeying it. You're not obeying it by allowing someone to subvert it. Now, if you choose to wear a mask, praise God, I'm all for that. I'm for liberty. And if you choose to do that, if you're not comfortable coming because we're not wearing masks, then watch online. I respect that. I understand that completely. But understand how viruses work. If you're going to get it, you're going to get it. This is one of the problems with government. When, uh, when President Obama, uh, at one of his first speeches, he said the, the seas were going to stop rising. And Trump's the arrogant one. You know, the, these people, they think that government can control a virus. And it simply can't. And everywhere they've tried, it's failed. And so I just try to be real reasonable with people. And the big thing, and it depends, if, if it's somebody that's belligerent, well, I, I take care of it that way. But um, if it's just somebody that's afraid, I just try to encourage them, don't be afraid. You're going to be okay. You know, you're 30 years old. You're not, how, many, how many people under 30 have died of this? 100 people? I mean, it's, you know, more people than that, you know, f you know fall off of their, you know, their hovercraft. So... It's that's what I try to do is just be. You're more likely to die on the way to the church. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I've, I'm diabetic and I, I'm 58, 57 years old and I had a fever for two weeks and was very sick 
with it, and I'm fine, and um, helped with some weight loss, and and I don't want your rights taken away because I got sick. Why Baptist? Um, I was going to ask you, we, we uh, sometimes with our folks, they, they, they're Baptist because they like us as pastors or they like their church or whatever. How do you articulate Baptist values or the importance of being in a Baptist church? I think you want to answer that. You're the man. You wrote a book on it. I'll say a couple things first. Oh, I first. know. I was, I was thinking, you let him answer it. He's, he's the guy that wrote the book on why Baptist. <laughs> read the book. Yeah, read the book. Buy the book. What I, uh, Buy the book. That's better. What I did, uh, actually, from the first time when I first became pastor, within months, I started teaching on why we're Baptists. I went through Baptist history um, because I, I realized in talking to some of the people, it was like, they were in our church because they just liked our church. It's not because they believed. In fact, there would be things I'd talk about. They go, "What? I, I've never heard that." I go, really? Okay. So, and and that's that. I guess that's a point that we got to be careful because sometimes, as pastors, we let people into our church to join our church that they aren't like us. We don't. We want them. We want people so bad that we don't take time to find out really where they're at and make sure they really are Baptist. So so I, I took months to went through Baptist history and and then through our doctrines and uh, we periodically do that. And so that that's helped with that. And so people don't question when somebody wants to join a church and I'll talk to them and say, you know, really, you're going to need to be rebaptized. And most of them get upset about that. You know, just I think of the two things I lose people the most on or lost people the most through my ministry was baptism and Lord's Supper. Those are the two things. Cause we, we had closed communion, so uh, they'd get upset because they couldn't have communion. So we had to, I had to deal with those. So through the years, I dealt with it and taught everybody. So, you know, the ones that couldn't accept it left. <laughs> the ones that could are there and they're, they'd be upset if we let people become a part of the church that are not Baptists. So, uh, so that, that's really how we, how we handle that, constantly teaching it. Yeah, what we do is we just try and teach that the Bible, when you look at what a church is in the Bible, you would, you would have to be a Baptist. And things like closed communion, um, when you go through the scriptures and you, you say with such and one know not to eat not at all it doesn't say not not just at all but one that's a brother that's a fornicator and so what meal are they not allowed to eat and then when it talks about um, removing someone from the body either I have the power to take their salvation away or we're setting them outside of church membership and the other thing, I just ask them, what's the word excommunicate mean? Well, you're put out of the church, and you can't take communion. That's, uh, some of these things, uh, I try to tell them that some of these things that we get pushed back on um, were not an argument 100 years ago. 
as a result of the fundamentalist movement and the Bible church movement, those two things, the, the non-denominational and interdenominational movements have made our positions seem extreme. But I like to tell them, your failure to be informed doesn't make me a wacko. Um, and just in love. Amen. In love. And I am very nice. I honestly, I really am nice when we talk about it. But I do let them know that they don't know what they're talking about and try to establish biblically where we're coming from on that. And I show them that baptism requires the proper candidate, a saved person, the proper, proper mode, uh, immersion, and the proper um, uh, administration, a local church, and that baptism is obedience to the Lord's command, it's identification with the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, but it's also identification with a local church and it, that church's body of doctrine. So when John's disciples had to be baptized in uh, uh, Acts chapter 19, can you imagine telling somebody John the Baptist's baptism wasn't good enough? <laughs> That's what Paul did. And that, that is the biblical model. And when you just take people through the scriptures slowly, and um, we, we have lost families over the Lord's Supper and the other. But when you teach them the, the final aspect of baptism is submission. And we'll just demonstrate. I know that in your mind you were baptized. You were identifying with the Lord. What you didn't realize was you also identified with false doctrine. Now it becomes your responsibility to give your family a testimony that you're identifying with right doctrine. If the doctrinal differences between that church and our church are not significant to you, well, then we don't want you to join because they're very significant to us. And so that's the way that I've handled that and um, have some success, actually more success than failure with that. Without repeating what's already been said by these fellows because it's the same scenario, but I, we're living in a day and age where people do not have religious backgrounds. Right. You know, they don't say I'm a Presbyterian, I'm a Lutheran, very seldom anymore where before everybody was stamped a Methodist, whatever, and you had to, and you needed to go through and help them understand the necessity. And I'm not diminishing, I would say that's the same thing we have done. But nowadays, I, you know, the, the, the three couples I'm thinking of that uh, have started coming to the church or whatever, they have no church background at all, yeah. none. I mean, they know there's a lot of churches and they might have, my grandmother was, you know, or something. So to me, that's a blessing. I mean, when America becomes a, uh, a real heathen country, that's a great opportunity for Christians. <laughs> everybody needs shoes. Yeah, right, everybody needs shoes now. Um, so, so what we, I'm, I'm finding out now later on in the ministry like this is that America's changed so drastically, people have no idea. You know, you just have to talk to Methodists. So I was baptized in Methodist church or I was christened or whatever. And you have to go through all that. But it, it's important. I agree with the idea that they need to know what it is they're becoming a participant in. If not, you're diluting something. Yeah. And then we also have a discipleship lesson. How is my church different? And that's the Baptist distinctives. Since I'm the only inquisitive person on the screen, <laughs> uh, what what advice would you give for? Well, we can give some different scenarios, but what is what's some advice that you would give for a young man who wants to go into the ministry? So I know there's difference, you know, there's difference between an 18 year old and a 35 year old married with kids. Uh, so what are some options for some young men? What counsel, advice? 
Um, what direction would you send them in? What would you tell them to do now with their life? And well, with a kid right right out of high school, I, you know, if his if his life is separated and he seems to have a desire for the Lord, I would encourage him to at least go to Bible college for a year. Not not that he would be committed to be a pastor, but if I'm talking about someone that's got into their mid-20s and 30s and has a family, I'd really try to make sure that they don't just look at the ministry as here's a, a, an area that you, I don't know, what do I want to say, have a position or a position of honor but that it that there's yeah profession that it but the that it is probably going to take more work than anything you're ever going to do and probably will be have a lot more sorrows because if you really become a good pastor and care for people you hurt with them and you carry it with you all the time i know one thing I, that was difficult for me through the ministry was funerals and I did a lot of funerals I did more funerals probably than most pastors and I just had a complete empty feeling every time when I was done I just hurt so much for the families not even knowing them I, I, the Lord must have put that in me because I'm not that sympathetic most of the time but when it when it comes to funerals I, the Lord would just get a hold of my heart and I'd feel so much for them, especially if they were lost and most people I did funerals for were lost people I mean I had a funeral director that just would call me all the time they don't have a preacher will you come yeah I would never say no to a funeral mm -hmm. right and I had a lot of people who least raise their hand profession of faith but it was a difficult thing so but get back to the point is a young a young man with a young family if he decide to go off to Bible college that could either make or break his life so he needs to know positively this is God's will and the other thing I, I really caution is is your wife a hundred percent behind this not that well if you do I'll, I'll go ahead but if, if she's not a hundred percent behind it I don't know that it's God's will for you to try to take that step that move I, I agree he said it way better than I ever could. Um, I think the scenarios are different. Uh, I've got a young man right now that actually two men that I think a lot of guys would have sent off to school, but they're staying and working in our church. We're, we're using these men in our church rather than paid staff. And um, I recommend online learning for these men. It's such a great opportunity. And with that, just like with that textbook that I told you about, I'm able to have much more responsibility in their education. And, I, okay, what are you learning? What book are you using? I have these conversations with the guys. And if it's a book I'm not familiar with or an author, then I, I check it out. And I'm able to be their pastor. Um, and I do really trust some of these other men, whether it's Brother Chapel or Brother Davison or, or uh, Brother Sexton, these, Brother Townsley. They're godly men, um, and yet all of those guys are a little different than Grace Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just try to stay involved in it and let God call them, not me push them. Um, that's, that's what we've been. So I, I think that if it's a young man in the scenario Brother, Brother Smith described, I agree with that. 
send him to school for a year, see what God does with his heart, see if he, see if he can submit to rules and be under authority. It, that's very important. Um, but then for a grown man with a family, I, I love a guy staying in the church, learning in the church, doing the technical stuff online, and learning to do ministry. And then if he can't do it at Grace Baptist, well, he certainly can't do right. it somewhere else. And why would I put my imprimatur, or my, you know, why would I lay hands on that man? Let's not do it suddenly. So. Right. Um, I, I think of Acts 13, first of all, and the fact of whether they're in a position where the church would agree with where they're going or what they think they're going to do as far as the ministry is concerned. Because a lot of times uh, young people will go to school maybe because their friends did and, and everything else, which to me is anathema if it's going to Bible, Bible college because, well, my friends are going and I'd like... And, my problem is I don't want them to marry somebody that's called of God to go in the ministry and they only went to Bible college because their friends did mm -hmm. <laughs> or they liked it or they have fun there. They got bowling alleys, um, you know, those kind of things. Uh, so I think the idea is, is certainly um, the church has to be in agreement. And then certainly you take somebody that's a married man, family or whatever. I think, again, my encouragement to that person is saying, you know, before you make this decision that God has called you, let me get the men of the church together and see whether they feel like God's laid their, his hand on you, you know, so that we could, in a sense, send you. Because when they leave, if they go someplace to school, it's the church should be the one sent them because they agree. Because going back to what he just said, some people you wouldn't want to lay hands on. I, I've, I've been on ordination councils. Mm where the individual had no idea what he believed about anything. Yeah. Or had a ba biblical basis to lay hands on. Now, what are, now, what are we doing here? Um, I, I'm not trying, I, I, I do that, I, I think of that because the fact is I've seen so many men that have gotten into the ministry that shouldn't have been there and they eventually got out and the damage they've left behind is, is really hurtful. So and when it comes to the wife, I think the church would know if the wife's 100%. She's already plugged in. She's ready to go, yeah, she's, but if it's like questionable, whatever will kill the home and the marriage and the church is a pastor's family, you know, if there's problems in that. So with the young man, I like the, um, there's one other thing. I like the idea of uh, online, as far as education, as far as that, because then they can work in the ministry um, as well. But I also tell them if they do go to school, remember, this is your church. Amen. You know, when you get done with school, come home if you don't know exactly where God wants you to be. Because what will happen is the, the, the school will say, you need to wait here for God until God calls you away. And uh, the thing is, they can wait at their home church and serve in their home church better, they, I think, and, and do more good and God can find them where they are in that way. And so I, I think that's important. Uh, you know, I, I tell the kids that I, one time I went to, and, it, and of course that exposes my pedigree, but the thing is I went back and I was in pastor school, Indiana. Um, Elaine Colston, you know, I got you know the families there and stuff. So I went up and said hello to her. She was playing the organ. I think it was the organ. I don't know, it was piano organ. And she said, well, Brother Young, it's good to have you home. I said, Mrs. Colson, isn't that my home? <laughs> my home's in New York. I'm just visiting you, you know. Um, and she goes, well, you know what I mean. And I said, yeah, I know what you mean, but <laughs> I'm not home. I sang in a quartet for her, uh -huh. and uh, it was all local guys. And she sang like this. 
<laughs> so she'd sing. And so she sang the part, and she they called me Jimmy. She said, Jimmy. And so I started going, <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> Now, were you talking about were you talking about getting kicked out or what? Not that time. That was a different thing. Uh, one thing I'd like to add in the end here is that um, I am in favor of what he mentioned of having guys at home too. We we've started ten churches, and five of the guys were deacons in our church. That well, amen. Became the pastors of these churches. So, you know, they never went to Bible college. They were just they grew up in our ministry and and were taught and trained then. So. Well. You know, a lot of it, I think, depends on the person, too. Yeah. I mean, if he's right. if he's somebody who's not really ready to be sent out to be a pastor, then and he needs training somewhere else. Or I think the most important thing that's been said is um, make sure the wife's on board. Oh I think boy. that's the most important. Um, recently by a guy. And this is the first time I've ever heard this before, and Brother Alter, you may have heard this before. Um, this is not really a practical like thing as far as Bible college and all that stuff goes, but uh, he said he had evidence that the Trinity was added into the Bible at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. And I had never heard that before, and so I didn't really have a like well it hasn't here's I was kind of like oh okay that's bizarre first I've ever heard that before but maybe you have heard that before what would anybody whoever whatever maybe you've never heard that before either but throwing it out there yes um, that was right supposedly that was in response to the Arian controversy Arius was teaching that Jesus wasn't fully God um, that, that's so there was something called Sabellianism, and, uh, or it's otherwise known as modalism. The oneness Pentecostals would practice it today. And that's that there's only Jesus. And sometimes he appears as the Father, sometimes he appears as the Spirit. So you had Arianism, that Jesus wasn't fully God, and you had Sabellianism that they were dealing with. That was all in opposition to the, to the basic local church teaching of the Godhead. And so they had to be opposing something. The idea that they had to settle something at that, that late date... It, that's settling it for the Catholic Church. Yeah. The individual churches were already preaching it. Tertullian's writing about it in 200 A.D. Arrhenius was writing about it. it, it it's, it, that was a common understanding. And, of course, First John 5, 7, there's th three that bear record in heaven, Father, we're the Holy Ghost, these three are one. And then when Jesus is praying to the Father, they're talking back and forth. At the baptism, you have, and you all know this, the, the Godhead is there. All through Scripture, it's there. So the idea that maybe the word Trinity was later, I don't even think that's true. But the concept of the Godhead is all through the New Testament. You can't read the New Testament without coming up with the Godhead. I don't know if this is a theological question or not, but uh, and that might be a confession. I am tired of hearing Christians say, well, the Lord's coming soon, you know. And uh, I got a, a letter from a missionary who said, you crazy Americans um, think just because you hit a little persecution, all of a sudden the Lord's coming tomorrow again, uh, where the world has been going through persecutions sure. far greater than yeah. this. 
And so kind of a two-part question. One, again, is a lot of people that say that to me have a Protestant background, and they don't have a clue what it means when they say the Lord is coming. Uh, there's no teaching in Protestant theology about the second coming of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ. None of that is in there. And so uh, the people are, are just ignorant of that. And then Christians that that say that kind of like, get me out of here kind of an attitude. And you had mentioned this the other night. And uh, what if what if it's another 500 years? Uh, and so it, it's I'm looking for a, 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 an answer again that I could just give uh, because, hey, what if he don't? You know, I don't like saying it that way. It's too blunt, you know, because we all believe in the imminent return of Christ. But but the idea that, boy, that I just can't wait to get out of here attitude uh, it seems more harmful than 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 just preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so if you could uh, just address that, maybe. Um, I would just say a, a couple things in the fact that we're to help that person understand that you know, we are looking for the Lord to come back at any time. But Paul was, too in his day. And not only that, um, when you think about the Lord coming back, are you thinking about because it, it, you, won't, you won't get COVID <laughs> yeah. or they won't take your house and, and family and stuff? Uh, what are you thinking about doing? Because when we stand before the Lord, we'll give an account for what yeah. we've done in the flesh, yeah. whether it be good or whether it be bad. Are you ready to face him with that? I mean, it's, it's hard. You're right. We are we have been pampered. And I think as a result of that, it's coming. I'm not a prognosticator, uh, son of a prophet or a prophet, but uh, you look at, see what takes place, what God did in principle with Israel. And I mean, look at uh, Lamentations. I mean, they, they, it was ugly thing. And I'm not saying that we are Israel. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that we've, We've turned our back on God, totally. Murdered 60 plus million children. Everything that, oh, I, I'm not sure. I, I guess it was you last night just saying that what's taking place is everything the Lord has, like the rainbow or anything like that, they've, the most wicked, vile sins have taken it captive. And it's a tragedy as far as that. But the second coming, yeah, I have people even now and probably the last couple of weeks, you know, boy, the Lord's got to be coming back, don't you think? He is coming back, but they meant now, you know. <laughs> I said, yeah, he really is coming back, but we don't know when, but we'll occupy till he comes in that. So, I mean, that's kind of in a, in a generic way that I respond unless somebody has a specific thing, but usually it has to, it's selfish. The, um, the return of Christ is to display the glory of God. Mm. The rapture is to bring his church home so that he can deal with his people. And, um, you know, again, the tribulation, all of that has nothing to do with us. It's, it's God dealing with Israel and the world, judging the ungodly. Um, something that, another one of those controlling ideas in our ministry that I've been trying to get across to people is it's not about you. Mm -hmm. Um and this, this personalized faith, let me tell you what this passage means to me. Well, if you were never born, does the passage then have no meaning? <laughs> you know, this, this personalization, and it's very much this me generation, this Laodicea rights of the people kind of thinking. And if you had lived in 1100 AD, and, and in Europe they're eating each other, you know those werewolf stories and stuff? 
That's because they're eating you. I mean, it, it, it's as pa- you can't imagine how pagan Europe was then. So if you had access to a Bible and you were reading about the tribulation, man, we're in it. We're in it right now. Half the people, he said, I'll kill all your children with death. Half the kids are, die before they're 13. They don't even name the kids until they're 13 because they don't think they're going to live. And again, because people are not informed and the United States, and, and let's, let's just be fair, Western civilization is a parenthesis in history. Um, the idea, and all these ideas come together, Christians saying the Lord's going to come back, and then the, the white privilege stuff. Um, well, when we didn't have any food in the house, I wasn't feeling real privileged. And if you go back about 200 years, uh, let's, let's be fair, 300 years, there was white privilege for like eight people in the world. They were called kings. And everybody else wanted to be a slave because then the king would protect you. Um, it, because we don't teach history anymore, it's easy to manipulate people into the now. And, and we compare whatever society we're in to some utopia, you know, Sir Thomas More utopia, and utopia means no place. It doesn't exist. And so they're always trying to uphold this mythical place and compare our society to it. But if you compare even 21st century Christianity to the rest of history and the liberty that we have in the United States, we're free. We're free. And so when we do lose some of our rights, and we are, that doesn't mean the Lord's about to come back. But he could. That's the whole idea of the imminent return. But until then, we occupy. So I know that was kind of a roundabout, but it's a worldview. Um, Even Christians are way too Pollyannish about humanity. So they're just evil. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And, you know, I I, I call it um, Jiminy Cricket theology. Follow your heart. (laughs) <laughs> say, follow something that's deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. And, but even Christians, you know, trust your heart. Trust, when you can't see his hand, trust his heart. And you, you've got your heart. And how about you just believe the Bible and uh, grow up? This one last question. Um, it's a challenge as a pastor. You have a lot of expectation to be an expert about everything, you know, like geopolitics, science. I had someone ask me Sunday about the vaccine. I, I did tell them that I'm not a doctor, though I do identify as a doctor. Um, but, I mean, there's so many different fields that you can get drawn off into. How do we keep first things first or stay well-centered, well-balanced as a pastor and still be a diligent student of the things we ought to know about i I think that uh, sometimes we take too much upon ourselves i think the word of god is obviously the most critical aspect of it's like the fellow actually um, brother ferris said it's our church on sunday he said he said i'm not a doctor and he said i don't play a doctor on tv either (laughs) Uh, and that's so true as far as that but i think we have to try to search it out as best we can People have to make their own decision. Should I get the vaccine? Figure, you better figure that out. You know, we're sheeple in that. And uh, I'm not gonna, I, Strong Memorial called me and said, I, I'm uh, qualified to get the vaccine. I said, really? <laughs> Can you send me the money instead? Uh, I said, um, uh, well, I'll tell you the truth, I appreciate the opportunity, but I'm not gonna get the vaccine 
Okay, it was telemarketing calling, you know, the people that fall in that category, you know. Now do you want to sell me shingles or something or a siding on my out? Um, but uh, I think everybody has to be well-versed themselves. And I think I, I don't try to use the pulpit to, to totally educate people in science saying, hey, you need to figure this thing out because the same people are telling you that masks work for 40 years said masks didn't work. And now they want you to put two on and be like Glenn Beck and put 25 on and see if that works. You know, it must be really safe then. So, I, I, you know, I, I think that uh, you have to be knowledgeable about several things, obviously, as far as whether it's politically, our rights and whatnot as a Christian. But I think it boils down to doing the work of the Lord, period, glorifying him. That was that's where I've kind of been. I think that's excellent. And for us preachers, if we really have to, we, we really need to constantly revisit our job description. Mm-hmm. Minister the Word. That, that's our job. Study, pray, minister the Word. We, we need to learn how to administrate our churches in such a way that the men in the church are doing the work of the ministry so that we have time to study the Word. And then when we get behind that pulpit, you have a limited amount of time. And um, we... We don't need a sanctified Glenn Beck. We don't need uh, another uh, Baptist Rush Limbaugh. That's not what our people need. And we just need to preach the word. And periodically, I'll take a Sunday and I'll deal with social issues. And I'll try to be as informed as I can. But recently on the COVID thing, I told them, this has been the most difficult thing for me to comprehend. So for the first three months, I read everything. I mean, it, it, it was obsessive. I read everything. And what I learned is they're all lying mm-hmm. all the time. Whether they intend to or not, I, I can't judge their motives. But um, Fauci has been on opposite sides of every statement. I don't trust any of them. Um, the death rate has not increased in the country. They're just lying to us. And that's the stuff that I point out. Be careful if you have certain underlying conditions. This is going to magnify it. Whatever this virus is, it's going to magnify it, and you could be in trouble. Um, everybody else, you're fine. Your kids aren't going to get it. Take the mask off your little kid. His brain needs to develop. Um, the, and I, I, I tell people that, you know, as I remember my science classes, we're supposed to exhale. There's a reason we exhale. And... So I just try to bring common sense to the subject when I talk about it. So they, same thing on the vaccines. What should we do with the vaccines? I told the church a couple of weeks ago I've studied this, and um, I've come to the conclusion that what do I know? Ask your doctor. Why, why are you asking me about the vaccine? It's not a vaccine. You ought to know that. Right. It's called a vaccine so they can't sue the company. Yeah. It's not a vaccine. Um, so just find out what you're putting in your body and make sure there's no aborted baby parts in it. So that's I, I try to bring the social, the biblical social aspect to these issues, but my job is to preach the Bible. I try not to talk about this stuff in the pulpit, because because with my temperament, that's all I'd talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, yeah. Number one thing as a pastor, we just got to focus on being the pastor and not make people think we're authority of everything. I mean, how many times you run into a pastor where people in the church feel like they got to ask him before they can do anything? And I don't think that's the job of the pastor to give permission 
for people to do things and we need to teach people to learn how to make those decisions themselves. And I know there's a lot of power in the fact that when, when you get people depending on you and, and following everything you say, you become, you become this ego maniac, you know, who really ends up destroying lives. And then you can sin and you're not wrong, but everybody else is. So we got to be careful of that. We see that happen all the time. So just focus on just giving out God's word. So that's it. And if it inflates the preacher's ego when he can tell somebody something to do or they didn't come to him and they should have because he knew what they should have. They're going to make mistakes. And you got to help them get through the mistakes. We all learn by mistakes. And I'm not saying something that'd be tragic or whatever, but yeah, I've seen guys that they felt like they needed to tell everybody when somebody didn't do what they said. And the thing is, is they're down on them. So, well, if he'd have told, you know, done what I told him to do, he, he wouldn't have this problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll make a gold statue out of you then um, or something to worship. The other thing on these, on these political issues, social issues, I feel like we're in a different place in our country too, because all of your people have, all the access to information that you do. Yeah. There was a time when I had access to resources that the people, the rest of the folks in my church didn't have. That's just not the case anymore. So I, I feel like th their need for me to do that is less than maybe I felt like it was 20 years ago. Amen. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Let's conclude right there and uh, appreciate your input this afternoon. Thank you so much for listening today to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you can, leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. We'd appreciate that very much. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us by emailing us at pastoralthoughtsmail at gmail.com. And you can find out more about us at pastorjack.org. God bless you and have a wonderful day.